0: Hello and welcome to the Spoon Carving Conversations Podcast, where I talk to spoon carvers from around the world about how and why they carve spoons. I'm Simon Pooley, and today I talk to John Wagger, a craftsman from Buckhorn, Ontario, Canada. We talked about how John got started with carving and how it has connected him with his ancestral lineage. Through the craft he has met friends and mentors that are also involved in bushcraft and traditional indigenous lifeways. Early on, John saw the possibility of making a living doing what he enjoyed and is doing just that. It was really cool to chat with John, and it was cool to hear how something so simple as carving a spoon can make such a big and positive influence on someone's life. It was a real pleasure talking, and I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, John. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. So, we just had a... Uh, yeah a brief introduction just now a few minutes um, to say hello and I was just saying how some people I uh, I know personally I've met somewhere or kind of had some interaction on Instagram or or something we haven't had much interaction but uh, kind of been seeing your work and we've had some contacts I thought hey let's make it happen and have a chat so yeah it's cool it worked out I'm here on holiday in Portugal um and you're at home i i guess today maybe you could start Stop by telling map. a bit about where you are i saw on the map you're in canada what's it like uh where where you're living did you grow up there
1: yeah so um, i live in curve lake first nation and it, it's an indian reserve at, or like a for first nations basically so then I'm, I'm part of the anishinaabe and the the, the mississauga anishinaabe but, which is also Ojibwe and it gets pretty complicated yeah but, you uh, might have so. to
0: explain a little bit of because like i'm pretty ignorant to that <laughs> the whole well, the, yeah, history of the, the, the area world. and yeah i mean i grew up in little old new zealand and <laughs> we're so yeah. kind of removed from mm, yeah a lot of <laughs> other cultures we're so isolated down there so um yeah maybe you can explain a little bit yeah. more are those but the names guys- of
1: it's the, the indigenous people for the indigenous the North people. America, basically. But there's a bunch of different groups. So, like, there's indigenous people in, in New Zealand, right? Yeah, for uh, sure. Like there of Maori people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, like, uh, basically, like, uh, this is the indigenous people for, like, around the Great Lakes area. There's actually quite a few. Like, um, But, like, the Ojibwe is one of the biggest groups that were in, like, the North America part. And that mm-hmm. uh, so, like, ours is, like, around, like, those Great Lakes, basically, like, around that United States and Canada border and mm-hmm. I, i'm in ontario so i'm just like a bit like a couple hours, like three hours north of toronto and, mm-hmm. and then like there's like a, a peterborough which is like a decent-sized city and that's about a half hour away from me but i've grew up in curve like all my life i went to college for a little bit but in a city near here called Lindsay for outdoor adventure education which uh, it was kind of funny so like then this is a bit of my how like i got my start into carving too actually because I I grew up in Curve Lake. I was just, like, playing video games, just doing random, like, kids stuff, going swimming and everything. Went to high school, and, like, I didn't really have very many interests, and I didn't really think that, I I don't know, I couldn't think of anything I was good at. I basically just like to play video games, Mm -hmm. Uh, so... But uh, when uh, I was picking what to go to college for, it was actually like my mom was just randomly like, okay, so I know you like welding because like that, actually that was something that I took a bit of interest in school was welding. Then she also said outdoor adventure education. Uh, so I was like, uh, and basically she just said that I'd go on a bunch of trips and stuff, go camping and uh, rock climbing and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, that sounds great. Like I uh, may as well do that. But like, uh, I'm sure I'll find something I like in there. And yep. then that, so I, I took a two year diploma in that. And then in the first year of that program, it was in November. Um, we went to like this bushcraft course basically. And like, um, so we, we went like a few hours North and then like, we stayed over at this place and they were teaching us like a bunch of like, uh, kind of like uh, skills, of, like bushcraft stuff. And I think it was the first night we were there, they they handed out like a bunch of pieces of wood and I think it was some more knives. I swear it was more knives, but like uh, they, were, they were red handles. So I'm not sure what model it was. That's something I've actually been curious about mm-hmm. because they told everyone to make a spoon and I made a knife. So I just like made an exact copy of the knife I was using to carve it because I didn't think like a spoon seemed really complicated to me. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't actually want to do it. And everyone else in the class, kind of went for it and we did coal burning so took coals from the fire and we set it on a piece of wood and blew on it to make the, the depression and uh, uh, yeah uh, so like uh, basically i didn't do anything for an entire year after that like my knife just kind of sat on my shelf uh, as i was playing video games at between class and i'd look at it and i was i was kind of proud of it because uh, like I did like this little chip carving spiral around the handle and like I actually still have it and uh, like uh, I like it. it's cool. I think it was made of cedar. but uh, so like I did like kind of like a bit of chip carving in it, I guess. that was one of my first projects. But then a year later, on a backpacking trip, I was like five days in in Algonquin Park, uh, which is a few hours north of me. And then um I, we were all just sitting around the fire one night. I think someone may have been making a bowl. I can't remember but I went down to the beach and I grabbed a piece of driftwood and like, I decided I was going to make my first spoon and I did the cold burning. I think I, I had a bear grills knife, like that bear grills survival knife. that, giant uh, yeah. One that So I, yeah, I used <laughs> that to carve my first one. Actually I carved my first few with that. Uh, and then like, uh, I think what made me keep going was like uh, the fact that like I was like pretty astounded that I made something, but like everyone else around me was like, wow, nice spoon and everything. Yeah. So then like I kept going and then I had a friend from that was um a, he was a farmer from Manitoba but like a, his family was originally from Germany and uh, he he was like a, he was like 40 years old his name was Ralph and that he came uh, like it, he was in my course and so he started coming to my house after so after school and stuff because like he just liked to talk about bushcraft we would watch videos about bushcraft knives and stuff and carving and he eventually gave me a BK-7, which is like, like a giant knife also from K-Bar. But it was okay, like a bit I better than know. Bear Grylls. Okay, and but like just,
0: more of a, not a crafting knife, more of a like
1: Bush, uh, Bush yeah, style it's knife. It's like a survival no? knife. Okay, For, not super
0: practical okay. apart from like chopping, <laughs> chopping away. I, its I think stuff it's more of a
1: tactical. It. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. I think one of their selling points was that I could stab through like a car hood or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. So just in case. to say it yeah. took me a long time to carve with those, the edges were like yeah. very convex and everything. So like, it was really hard to find the angles, but I was carving spoons with them, but I was using, like I was taking weeks at a time of sanding. Uh, mm-hmm. So like uh, after all that sanding, I just had a bunch of spoons on the go all the time that I didn't want to finish sanding. Cause I'd- get to a high grit and I'd see something I missed or a piece like that was flaking up and like I didn't really understand that I had to go back down the grits and everything so oh. how did you did you
0: how did you um did you like hollow out the bowl then just with the tip of the knife kind of crudely or how did oh. you find a way to make that work with a normal uh, uh a normal no, technical so I,
1: knife I kept doing the coal burning thing ah so, okay I, you were yeah but, but that was actually an interesting part about it was um I couldn't have fires at my house in town. So I was at I'd get a bunch of spoons to a certain point where it would just kind of be like the 2D shape, but without the bowl hollowed. And then I'd go out into the woods and build a fire and then I'd use the coals to get make my bowls.
0: Oh yeah. Wow. So a uh, real like yeah. process. Yeah, do this here and then finish it there. Her out.
1: Yeah. But that actually, well, one second, I'm just gotta drink of water.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's like one thing that happens. Well, it was the same for me. And I think for a lot of people, like no matter how crude or, uh, I don't know, how yeah, crude your first spoon is, you have this kind of pride of it somehow for having made this thing, no? And it sounds like that was the case with you. It was pretty rugged and things, but you it was enough to make you want to make more. And yeah, you started uh, started into it. And then you continued on.
1: Exactly. For, yeah, quite, and, quite
0: a while with this coal yeah. burning and sanding
1: method well so i think that was a few months so and uh, one of the things about those which was kind of funny was like most of them it's like they were too deep to even actually use like yeah. I, I carry around my second i gave my first spoon away but i have my second one and i bring it to all my carving courses and i let people know just how shallow a bowl should be because yeah. like I put it up to my mouth and I'm like my lip can't <laughs> even reach the bottom of this. Yeah, like um I'd have to like pour soup into my mouth basically from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I did that for a few months and then actually I found that the Zed Outdoors YouTube channel uh, on YouTube I think that's what it was. I was just looking through bushcraft videos and I found Zed Outdoors and I saw I think it was the 2012 video for Spoonfest and oh, like okay. I I was just kind of like uh, I was just sitting there at my computer and like I watched through that video and I was like. Whoa, like, uh, what is this? Like, uh, spoon carving is like a a thing that, like, uh, a lot of people do it. Like, I I just kind of thought I was just doing this really random thing. But then when I saw like all the people doing that, and then I was watching the videos from Robin Wood, and like, uh, this was like back in like 2015, I I think. Mm -hmm. So, like, I was seeing the videos from Robin Wood, like, the spoon carving hadn't really blown up yet. Like, Zed was like the only person that had anything about Spoon Fest, and then it was like Robin Wood. And then, like, there was a few video, like, um,
0: and maybe a few interviews. bushcraft videos, no. But now it's like, yeah, yeah you can go and get amazing tutorials, and there's books. But yeah, I think back then, how you describe it, yeah, ma- mainly it was kind of bushcrafty people doing very simple versions of, yeah, a knife or a fork or a spoon. But okay, but there then was you barn though. Okay, and was he? Did he already have like YouTube content, YouTube they, videos? So-
1: that's one of the funny things it's like he's like blown up now and everything right but back when i first started um i was seeing random like two minute interviews with him from like random like local news stations over in the uk and like just like about the guy that like just like camped out in the bush and then like carved spoons like i remember hearing him say that he camped out in a cemetery or at one point because no one would bother him there like just funny (laughs) stuff like that 'Cause like oh, he used to okay. just be a traveling spoon carver that just went around and carved spoons so before he had the shop.
0: Yeah, so like I that heard was that something
1: that really inspired me.
0: And where did you hear that about him? What was that on the radio or where did you that hear that? It was on
1: YouTube. On YouTube, okay. okay. So like, a little Yeah, interviews. like those like random clips. So uh, we're just like um on YouTube of him. Like I uh, just kind of like um barn the spoon, spoon carver, stuff like that. Okay. But like uh he He wasn't like a big presence on the internet or anything. Like, I don't think I could find much about him other than just those few interviews that I saw back then.
2: Mm -hmm. Because,
1: like, this was before spoon carving really blew up. Like, Robin hadn't even designed his carving knives yet. The Moro 164 still had the really pointy tip. And I was talking about this at Spoon Gathering. I was at the other day, but it's like, it was hard to get a hold of like the good knives. It it was like, then when I was looking, Robin used to have this suggested list of tools, he might still have it. But he had like um, Pinewood Forge and a few uh, Dell Stubs and a few other people like that. But I was in college and I had like no money. So I ended up buying a Mora 164 and a Mora 120. And Mm -hmm. so I started going with that for a while. And then I did that for probably uh, another like uh, maybe half a year or something like that until I I started noticing other YouTube videos about like this guy, Jeff Valentine. That that he actually, it's funny how I realized that he lived close to me. It, it's almost like a, <laughs> it's almost like some kind of stalker thing, because <laughs> I was listening to, I was watching his YouTube video, and he had a radio playing, and all of a sudden that like this ad came on, and I was like, wait a minute, I hear that ad all the time, and I was just like, yeah. this guy must be from around me. But then like I just went to his website, and it said where he where he lived, and it was only like half hour away from me, and I was like, oh, interesting. And then, so he doesn't carve anymore, but at the time he had Max from Wisman's Finest staying with him. So okay. I ended up going, I ended up, ta- I ended up taking a course with Max. So like I, I knew Jeff more than Max at the time, but then I saw that Max had YouTube videos. So I started watching those as well. So I ended up going over there and I took a course in person with Max, like a day course. Max and was like, uh, teaching the course
0: in conjunction with uh, this guy, Jeff, or how was the
1: situation it was just that max was teaching the course at jeff's house so jeff was just kind of there and i was taking the course with max so like yeah jeff threw some pointers in and stuff like that too Mm -hmm. but like uh, so before i went there it's like my spoon i was doing like a call spoon kind of crank where it was like i didn't quite understand like i i crank was in my mind all the time and i knew that i wanted to do it but like i was just doing like the bowl and the the handle were just like at different angles i wasn't doing the angle in the bowl basically mm-hmm. but, like yeah. people usually do crank so then like i went there and i came home and but well, the spoon's kind of gross from being used right now but like uh, i'm just showing simon like my spoon with mac so it's like i yeah, made a spoon nice. that like looks pretty like it looks like a pretty decent swedish spoon yeah so that was i went home with that then i kept making and um and I was just kind of like trying to do like his kind of template kind of thing for a while. But um, uh, eventually I decided that like uh, I should take another course with him, which kind of like improved my skills a bit more. And I just kind of kept carving. I was giving my spoons away. And then after a while, like uh, after I'd given like a bunch of people in my family spoons for like every occasion, <laughs> I, I decided that like I just like start trying to sell them in my community. And it was like at that time, I think I'd only like, I probably shouldn't like, uh, I don't think I was quite ready to start like a business kind of thing, but like I did start selling my spoons at random places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but then like, uh, so as I was doing that, I I kept getting better. Like people in my community were buying them and I was able to sell them. I I think I was a bit overpriced at first though. Like I think back to it, I, like um, my first cooking spoons, they weren't the greatest, but I was selling them for $60 because they took me so long yeah. to make. And they're so, but, uh... but
0: I think what happens at the start too is you get quite like overly sentimental, right? Until you've carved hundreds or thousands, you're like, oh, this is such a, my best spoon. And you get uh, probably a bit overly attached. And that's probably why you can, I felt that the same exactly. too with these higher prices where you realize oh, I'm going to keep carving and you want them to be out there. So rather maybe charging less and yeah, having having them uh, out into the world and not make it such a big thing for someone to uh, to buy something from you. Um, oh yeah yeah okay so pretty soon yeah you started selling because yeah you had so many spoons and after giving every family member spoons for birthdays and Christmas it's like yeah what am I gonna (laughs) what am I gonna do but you wanted to you would say it was more you just wanted to enjoyed carving and then produce these things and then the idea was to yeah do something with
1: them it wasn't like yeah, to make money that, or something. I think making money, actually, when I think back to it, I think that actually was it. I think, and that was part of the inspiration because I saw okay. Jeff and Max. I was like, oh, like these people are making a living making stuff all day. Yeah. And it's like, uh, I already knew I like to make stuff. So I was like, I should just try this.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Like, because, uh, like, basically, like, uh, I haven't had like a, or I actually, I've had one real job technically, but I worked as an archaeology liaison for Curve Lake. For my reserve, but that was like even after I started spoon carving. Okay. But it's like so like I haven't had like an actual like on paper job really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was one of the reasons carving applied to me because it's like a, they're like it. They're um, I was attracted to it because like I just couldn't think of doing anything else. Yeah.
0: yeah so I was like, really... well, I should
1: just like keep carving and just start selling these.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: So really I, happened, yeah, more less on its own now, from the from the joy of doing the thing, and then like seeing that that option to, okay, I can keep doing this,
1: yeah, exactly,
0: and, and uh, yeah, even make some money from it, okay,
1: yeah, combined with spoonfest and everything, it just made me realize that like it was a thing, and like it wasn't like a super crazy idea, yeah, that like people were doing it, so I was like, oh, maybe I can do it too,
0: yeah when when you did this course with max i don't i don't know much uh, about max apart from seeing some of his awesome work online and know he provides online courses which uh, seems like quite a yeah cool idea and at mm-hmm. that stage he was already teaching huh, these workshops what and what other people was it how many people were on his courses and what sort of people were on his courses back in those days so
1: it was actually it was just a one on one course okay. he's actually he's He's got a random YouTube video about it, I think, where it's just like a few pictures from the day. It's like spoon carving course in Ontario. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, yeah, so like I, I th- I've I, only met him like three times. Like I took those two co- courses with him and then like he comes up here and goes camping a lot, I guess. Uh, so he- I saw him was- another time.
0: Mm-hmm. I and think he's got is he from there himself. Ontario. He's in the area or he. I know he travels a lot. I saw that he sometimes spent time in Japan and out in the wilderness yeah, he's, and also seems yeah, interesting guy
1: he's from austria i guess uh, so he's from austria but like he just travels around a whole lot uh-huh. yeah yeah uh, which was good for me because like, i ended up getting to take a course with him uh, but like um i also could have taken one with jeff though too uh, so it's like uh, even if max wasn't there like i had like a, a professional that spoon carver around me I was like yeah. doing farmer's markets and stuff. And he was making like his living from it. Yeah, like he awesome. was supporting like a, 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 like a family with it. So I was like, wow, like I'm just one person. And this guy's supporting a family. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, that yeah but been like, he much.
1: was working very hard actually.
0: Mm-hmm. And was he so, doing, and he what, how was he making his living? Like carving spoons and doing other things, teaching or what else so, was he doing to support himself?
1: He was literally just doing spoons actually, but like, yeah. So he was doing a lot of spoons. Like I remember like, um, that this was one of the things that made me think I'm pretty sure that I could do it. Cause he, he mentioned that like he made like $10,000 or something in like a one show and I was like, what, but it's like, (laughs) he had to stop carving though. Cause his forearm or like his arms were just absolutely giant. And like, he couldn't like rip things anymore. Which is one of like, uh, so for that show, like one of the shows that he made the majority of his money for the year at he actually, and this was something that was good for me that helped me get better. was, um, he basically like paid me to come and help him ax out blanks when I was still a beginner and like, I had just got my carving ax, I think. So he basically paid me or he gave me a belt sander. Like he asked me if I wanted a belt sander of money. But, um, I went there and I axed out blanks for him the day uh, for the day because he was already having those problems with his arms. And then like a few months later he had stopped and and then like Max had moved away. So then like I was the only spoon carver in the area.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering about that. I haven't spoken to anyone, Rachel, a few people online, but yeah, to someone who does it so full time and so much, what, what sort of a toll that takes on your body? I'm just wondering or uh, what sort of changes you feel, especially if you're working uh, on one side and not doing various uh tasks but literally just spoons or something that's quite repetitive what sort of a toll that takes in your body and it sounds like yeah for him it was yeah to the point where it was uh too much it was a problem have you had anything like this yourself i yeah. mean i'm not sure how much your how much of your hours what does your day look like like now this is the way you make your income and what, yeah. what does the an average day look
1: like, or how do you plan your day if you're doing it to to make a living? So uh, a whole lot of procrastinating, uh, which I need <laughs> to get better at. <laughs> which yeah. is one of the hard things about when you work for yourself. Like yeah, you could get caught up in watching YouTube videos and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But but the the way I've always kind of been is like, which is bad, is um, like I'll end up like doing like a lot of work really close to something. So it's like. Uh, I didn't have any wood for a while and I'm getting ready for a show this weekend. So I basically carved six cooking spoons like really quickly. And the show, and, when um, you say show. Then, so it's like, I'll probably end up. Oh, sorry. Oh, that cut
2: you so off, it, mate. It's just like a local.
1: Lo- yeah. So it's just a local little craft show. That's in Kirklake. But But uh, like, uh, but basically like I, I do, like I, I work my body pretty hard sometimes. And like, uh, so right now, like actually last night I was using that, um, like, uh, I always, I, I find it weird to pronounce this, that, um, the Tuca cam, cam, I don't even know, <laughs> but I prefer just, Yeah, I'm Reddit. not going to try, but yeah, <laughs> I was using that a whole lot yesterday. And I actually, I made a video about that, but, um, so I, I hollowed it at, like six, like big cooking spoons with that. And like, just kind of like being like, um, really fast and aggressive, like trying to make like some really deep spoons with it. And then like, say like, later on like I could just like even like a or I had a little nap last night and I woke up and it's like I could barely like close my hand kind of thing it's just like really weak
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it's like I, I do get stuff like that or like my forearm is like really tight if I've been axing a lot that day so it's like I axed out like those six cooking spoon the blanks in a row like big ones and then it's like I can feel like my forearm kind of tight so it's something mm-hmm. I realized it's like but when you're trying to do this full time, it's like, you really should be trying to do it more gradual instead of like doing big bulk, uh, like uh, production things, like trying to like rush through them because like the only person you're really hurting is yourself and your ability to do it more in the future. And it uh, so it's like, uh, I, I try and like keep up stock by doing things casually in between, but I always end up just trying to get a bunch of stuff done before a show, which is bad. Mm-hmm. So basically do as I say, not as I do. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So maybe what about your, what would your suggestion be? And uh, not, yeah, leaving it to the last minute kind of thing. And maybe not so much. Yeah.
1: uh Not too much of one thing at, at, once, at, at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, uh, say so, like I, like I hollowed all six of those bowls yesterday. So it's like yeah. uh, I was feeling it. But, and yeah. it's like um, when I swap to the knife, it's kind of like a different feeling and everything. And it's like I can just kind of like use the curve of that more instead of like the twisting of like my one arm and everything. Yeah. And like, a, also like how tight you grip things too. Like I know facets on tools have helped me a bit too. Like, um, my ax is like really skinny. Like I like my ax, it's, it's Toronto blacksmith axe, So it's a local guy, but the handle is smooth and it's kind of skinny. So I've noticed that I'm gripping it really tight, which is part of the reason why I think my forearm is starting to like, get, get really like kind of swollen and like, but like the skin's basically tight uh, on mm-hmm. my arms after I've been working that all day which like that definitely isn't good i don't think Uh, so like i want one with more facets or like more facets on the handle basically so i'm not gripping it as hard because like that's something i've noticed with some of my carving knives too. like uh, if you're not trying to grip it to keep it straight basically uh, because like all the like it's so smooth and it's so small it's like you just end up like uh, trying to like hold it a lot harder than you need to
0: Mm -hmm. mm-hmm interesting yeah, a whole yeah. different uh set of kind of things you have to think about, no, and potential problems once you start yeah, carving, doing so much of it. It's something I haven't, although I do sometimes get in a bit of a zone and spend uh, a few hours and I feel it a bit, but then the next day or two days I, I won't have to do it. So I have the luxury of, yeah, just ah, today I'm feeling tired and give myself that rest. And at these craft markets, um yeah, I guess then what sort of stuff like sells more? Is it like cooking spoons? Do you carve more things that sell better or are you able to carve what you want and that sells as well? Or what have you noticed with that selling?
1: So that especially at the beginning, it was like, um, well, hey, like me, like everyone at the start, like you just want to make eating spoons all day, right? <laughs> yeah. But I, I quickly realized that um, people wanted cooking spoons So I just sized up my eating spoon template and I started making a whole lot of cooking spoons and that those were, have always seemed to be my best sellers. Mm -hmm. But it's like other carvers really like eating spoons. But like one thing is like eating with a wooden spoon isn't like as normal of a thing as cooking with one, right? Like everyone has a wooden spoon at home for cooking. So that's something I've always talked about is like, it's just so much more natural for people that buy a cooking spoon than it is for something else. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've been Um,
0: invited um, in December by someone that they run a restaurant and they asked me each year they have kind of like a little market in their restaurant where their clients, regular clients, come and have dinner. And then there's a kind of little setup of a market where they can all buy presents. And yeah, they actually reached out to mm -hmm. me and said, Hey, would I come with my spoons? And I was like, Yeah, because I don't really want to go through the effort. I have a big collection of spoons sitting around, but I don't want to go and make a stand and go to a market so i thought hey they've asked me and i can just take the stuff i have lying around so it was a good chance but i have a lot of eating spoons exactly and not many cooking spoons so because i'm doing this now i've already changed a bit my thought and i've been carving a few more cooking spoons a few more scoops like coffee scoops too um yeah so it's kind of funny huh once it once you start having that in mind producing stuff for other people stuff that's gonna uh, sell better or people want to use yeah it, it does change what you do huh
1: I think it depends yeah. also where like um I think on the internet I think eating spoons actually sell really well but like um a lot of my sales are in person but so like i made a website and I want to start uploading my eating spoons to it like my, my like fancy eating spoons basically that I like think like other carvers and stuff will appreciate
2: mm-hmm.
1: but like uh yeah it's like a uh, like uh, my eating spoon, I do sell some of them now. At first, I wasn't like selling like any eating spoons, but now like some people do buy them, uh, especially because it's like a lot of people like know someone that like, also carves spoons now. So sometimes they buy it as a gift for them, or like uh, just like buy a wedding gift or something like that. That is like a little spoon, just because it's cheaper than like a, a cooking spoon. But actually, like I made my prices for them pretty close recently. Like uh, I've been selling my eating spoons for thirty dollars and my cooking spoons for forty. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, I, I put so much more thought in my eating spoons. I've realized it's like a, a cooking spoons bigger, but it's like, I can like autopilot pretty much. Uh, like I've done so many of them and it's just like, uh, it's a pretty basic shape. I'm not worried about them putting it in their mouth and what it's going to feel like. And uh, mm-hmm. just thinking about like how it feels in their hand while they stir with it or like mm-hmm. scoop or something with it. But yeah, like eating spoons are just like this whole other dimension.
0: Mm. Yeah, totally. More, much more. Same for me. But then, like, my partner, was. I was saying the same thing, too. Like, oh, I've got all these eating spoons. And she's like, why do you enjoy them more? And I'm just like, oh, there's much more things to play around with, with curves and lines. But then she's like, why don't you just do the same with cooking spoons? I'm like, yeah, I guess I could look for more creativity in the cooking spoons, right? But I'm kind of the same. I don't know why. More or less straight handled. But, um yeah, why not add some curvature? The last guest I talked to, uh, George, um, he also carves mostly cooking spoons, but actually he makes exactly that as more curvaceous and kind of everyone's a bit different. I'm like, oh, yeah, I might yeah. explore that a bit more rather than thinking a ah, cooking spoon is just a straight handle with a shovel at the end, you know? Why not? It's kind of funny. <laughs> we limit yeah. ourselves for yeah. some reason.
1: Yeah. yeah actually like um and it's uh, something i realized too was like I, I i've been getting out of using templates recently but back when i first started using templates especially it's like i found like i had this one cooking spoon design and i just kept making it and eventually i realized so i was like you, you can make another template yeah. uh, like if you want to <laughs> uh, so then yeah. i started doing that and now i'm just trying to draw them more because like i i really admire people that can just kind of like draw their spoons on the piece of wood and go for it because man yeah. and my drawings always look ugly And it takes me a bit longer to make those spoons, but it's like, I know I can carve it at least like somewhat nice, not completely symmetrical, but like symmetrical to the eye when you look at it at first glance kind of thing.
0: Uh Yeah. Yeah. I'm very much mostly carving unsymmetrical, even the cooking spoons, just for the fact that, I don't know, uh, that trying to get it all symmetrical, although it can be a fun challenge, like to do it, I just feel so much free and just, yeah think a lot less when it's and as long as i have nice curvy lines i think it can look just as nice as a symmetrical spoon but i don't have that yeah. kind of thing like ah, it's still not right it's like no it's yeah i have a lot more freedom with that shape so i lean more and more towards uh, asymmetrical shapes yeah
1: yeah I'm starting to do that as well, actually. Like, I really like the and like I don't like the egg-shaped bowl anymore. I like more like oval bowl now, and especially uh-huh. when like it's got kind of like the asymmetrical a bit to like the one side. Yeah. yeah, that's probably like my favorite bowl shape right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's funny how you go through those phases of no, like <laughs> one shape of bowl is kind of fascinates you for a time, and then you yeah. flip it and suddenly ah, oh, this the shovel shape and this and the, yeah. So fun playing with all those details, right? And with the keel and there's so much within it to play with. Have you, you said on that course, um, having the crank going through the bowl, like was a clear thing you learned there. And that sometimes you have those kind of like aha moments, like, ah, okay. (laughs) So this is is a feature I can have. And then you integrate it. Can you think of any other moments where you like realize ah this is actually uh maybe a better the, the or, keel. or the keel
1: yeah yeah that for sure because like uh before that i didn't like um it was like the certain ways that i was about to like kind of like cut that like kind of curve from the back of the bowl into the keel that transition mm-hmm. there's kind of like that flowing transition but so that's something that i've kept and like a, there's a lot of like um designs where it's like you do kind of like the cutoff with the handle and the bowl where like it, you don't have like um a curve to it you just have like that like kind of cut where they go into each other yeah so like I, I actually i don't do that as much just because like i think like i learned to do the like the flowing kind of keel at first so like i just kind of tend to do that And a bit what i'm talking about is i guess yeah. well then I like a picture like at the back of the bowl where it transitions right down that the handle. It's yeah. like, a I I like that curve there compared to like some designs where it just kind of like has a straight cut. Yeah. And I think that's just because it's like, uh, it's the way I learned and like, uh, I just kind of like the look of it. Yeah. But I've been nice. trying to experiment with those other designs too, though. It's yeah. like, I noticed a lot of people are doing that now where it's like it, like, and it makes people think the handle and bowl are like detached from each other and mm-hmm. uh, because it almost looks like you just glued them onto each other it's cool
0: yeah or the little detail of the top of the bowl like cutting it out so it, it makes that uh optic even more so with cutting out the, the bowl and then slightly lower the handle where it attaches so it really looks like it's floating yeah. on top uh can be really nice too yeah that's so funny spoon nerds wow. these little <laughs> little details here, like ah that's this reminds me
1: (laughs) so i was at that like i was at that spoon gathering this weekend so ontario spoon gathering i think it's our only spoon gathering it's called spoon moon and i went to it for my first time Mm -hmm. last year and i went to it again this year and at one point so like we were all talking about like uh, why spoons and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then like i've thought about that quite a bit because i've had so many people ask me and it's like uh it's something that, like, someone can give you a set of rules with, and then it's, like, you have, like, almost infinite possibilities, basically. It's, like, someone can teach you basics, and then it's, like, there's, like, all the designs and shapes of bowl and, like, you know, ergonomics and everything and, like, designs, they're, like, decoration. It's just there's so much different opportunities for it. It's basically mm-hmm. just, like, a canvas set for you to be an artist with, like, a Mora. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah, you can, yeah. yeah, you can be very artistic. Then there's also... Like i've sort of seen you do yes yeah, and chip carving stuff i'm sure coal rosing painting is stuff most people kind of over the time try and uh, experiment with these more decorations and yeah. Um, yeah what how was it for you the relationship between like aesthetics and function do you try and balance those out some people go more into aesthetics and it's less about the function it's more of this art piece and some are very much in the other direction like no decoration the beauty is just the the shape of the spoon itself and the functionality of it what do you kind of think about the the relationship between the, those two things
1: and it's funny i i don't uh, i never think about that too much because uh, it's like uh but I spend the whole time trying to make it look nice. And then it's like, but at the same time, I'm also like, a, I'm feeling it around for function and stuff like that. Like, is it comfy? Like, how does it feel against like in your fingers on like the underside of the handle when you're holding it to eat with? So it's like, I think I, it's probably a little bit of both, but it's like, a. I spend the majority of my time in my mind thinking about like uh, the design of it and like uh, how to make it like look nice, like how to make the facets even and everything, or like how I want the facets to curve and like run from like the back of the bowl down to the handle and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but like, so, and, and every once in a while between that, like, I'm just kind of like, I'm I'm like putting it in my mouth or something, or I'm looking at it that, like it's straight down the spoon. Or I spend a lot of time looking at the spoon. That's for sure. from Different mm-hmm. angles, but. I guess after
0: a matter of time like the function is kind of programmed into your method you know what i mean like
1: yeah um, yeah you're that's always gonna
0: carve a, a it's gonna be nice to use because you're not doing like anything crazy so that's kind of probably after a while already in there and then yeah little tweaks maybe yeah. it's nicer to hold or some particular thing but more or less after a while with eating spoons i think they're all going to be yeah fairly Functional
1: and yeah, actually I've been focusing on a bit recently because like say like with my bowls I've noticed that like they're a bit thicker than I want, so it's like that's something I've been really focusing on recently is like I want it to be like a much comfier in the mouth, mm-hmm. and so like I've been trying to thin them down a bit more you know, without like upsetting myself by going through the spoon because I can be a little bit precious sometimes, yeah, but I definitely beat myself up for a little while when I when I break a spoon. Uh, Especially because it's like um, when when it's your living and it's not really a hobby at all. It's just like oh, like that time that like I actually got myself to carve this uh, or something, or it's like uh, there's an hour gone. Uh, So it's like uh, I've definitely learned to like if I don't like the look of a blank or something at the start, I tend to throw it away or something because I don't Mm want to get that like upset later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it's like yeah, no, I see a spoon like I see an eating spoon that's thirty bucks basically. Yeah, it's a bit
0: h- harsher than when you, when it does go wrong. Damn. Yeah. What about yeah. your um like wood source and the area? What sort of wood grows there? What do you, what do you mostly use or what do you prefer?
1: So, um, um, when I started, at, actually I should have mentioned this too. When I started, I was carving a lot of cedar, and like I was just like doing whatever I could to get some cedar. Like, uh, but then like I quickly realized I didn't like cedar and pine and stuff like that mm-hmm. so like like a uh, birch has been like my main staple for a while but uh, i really like birch trees like uh, it's probably like my favorite tree especially because of the bark for it for like making things like uh, the indigenous people in this area we make canoes from them and like baskets and stuff mm-hmm. so like uh, if there's a nice birch tree i'd rather it not get cut down especially if the bark's nice so it's like i want them to grow bigger so i can test the bark and everything Mm-hmm. so now it's like i'm kind of thinking about things like cherry or if the birch is cut down already i'm fine with it but but yeah so it's like birch maple black cherry like a, a bunch of different kinds of maple
0: yeah um, and where do you be beach, where do you get but, it do you do you so
1: where does the wood come from do you- recently actually i've been getting it from uh, one of my friends that actually like it's kind of funny like i live out in like uh, the country like i have like lots of forest around me and everything but um i've actually been getting it from a guy that lives in the city because there's a he had he has a friend that works w- with a tree service so he gets dropped off a ton of wood and uh, so i've just been going over to his house and uh, just grabbing some from there because it's getting cut already but basically like uh, my motto right now is like uh I want to like carve wood that's been cut for a different reason, not for my yeah. own. Cause it's like, uh, if I just fall into that, it's like, uh, in my tough times, like say a couple days ago, I, I had no wood and I, I really need to make stuff. And I have anxiety about it. It's like, it'd be really easy to just walk into the bush and cut down a tree, but it's like, I know there's so much wood around just laying in people's yards and stuff. So it's like, I'm just refraining from doing that because I know I did it when I first started like okay. uh, it's yeah. like oh I'm, i need some wood that i live all around forest so i'm just gonna go take a birch tree but it's like uh, yeah like i'm uh, going back to the spots now especially if you didn't use the whole thing before like some of it rotted and stuff just doesn't feel good yeah
0: yeah okay so that's yeah conscious choice to, uh, yeah and i guess yeah if you keep your eyes open and ask you will find something but yeah it's a kind of the easy option to go out in the bush and just cut a tree down. But, uh, yeah, it feels yeah. As, a, as you say, I don't know, might not always be the best choice or it's kind of like a lazy option in Hawaii. Um,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. But, but for most people, it's not a, if you live in the city and stuff, that's not even an option, but it's like when you're where I am, it's like, it's like almost the too easy option. Cause it's like, it, you can avoid talking to anyone. You can just go out there all by yourself. It doesn't take very long. And then you can just go home and you'll have a bunch of wood. They didn't have to interact with anyone. Yeah. Yeah, Especially when you're like a bit of an introvert, like I can be sometimes like, that's definitely like, it seems like the better way, but I'm I'm actually going to get some wood later on today. Um, I'm going to drive where my buddy says and grab some. Okay. Yeah. And do you
0: know then other people, there was this guy, like, is there other, now it's just you, um, carving
1: oh, spoons exactly. as i understood yeah go ahead so it, it when the, when jeff stopped carving and max moved away i w- but then like as you know spoon carvings like kind of like uh it's a really popular thing to do right now right and I, or actually i should also say like um throughout the past couple of years i've taught quite a few courses too uh-huh. so it's like uh it was probably like a few years after max it taught me, I think in like 2017, I was teaching courses. So I taught quite a few courses back then. I was teaching like groups of eight people. Like, I really don't know how many people I've taught, but yeah, I think it's a good amount. Like it's probably like over 50 people. So it's like, oh, I've cool. definitely like, a, and there's a few of them that have stuck with it that are carving in the area now. And other people I've just seen YouTube videos or took courses with other people. So it's like, spoon carving definitely isn't like a huge like a weird thing anymore like um more and more whenever i do go to markets people are coming up and they're saying like oh i have a friend that carves spoons or a cousin or something yeah and
0: apart from carving spoons that's pretty like niche um yeah growing up was there other people like you had around you also crafting making stuff like you say it's a bit in your uh in your culture like did you have access to that, or did you see much of that growing up, or were you busy playing video games and missed that in those early years?
1: Yeah, so uh, what's interesting about that actually is like, um, no one in my reserve really does any of the stuff anymore. I was playing, I, I was busy playing video games, but I by the time I was growing up, there wasn't really people doing a lot of that stuff anymore. So it's like, uh, my only canoe builder I think had moved away a few years. Uh, but like um, quite a few years before I was born or something or like around when I was born. Mm-hmm. So like there wasn't like a, and the only wood carver I think was making totem poles or something with just like gouges yeah, and mallet kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there was no actual wood carvers there or anything like that. So like, I didn't really like, I wasn't inspired by anyone in particular from my reserve, but it was like afterwards once I was carving and like, uh, I feel like I'm not even a part with in my story yet. It's funny. <laughs> Cause it's like, uh, yeah. I met this guy that who's like my best friend now that just like, uh, randomly, like, uh, I, uh, my girlfriend at the time said, said like, Oh, you should go and like, uh, see this guy. Like, uh, so and a bit of context to that is so, that uh, I said, uh, I was Ojibwe or Anishinaabe and it's like, uh, so like uh, a lot of us are like, uh, uh, other Ojibwe and stuff like, but we're related for the most part, right? Like, but we're all part of the same tribe. and. Uh, there's a bunch of reserves in my area. Like there's three of them, like three main ones, Curve Lake, Alderville and Hiawatha. And we're all like within like around an hour of each other. So there was someone from Hiawatha that was building this thing. And so like, uh, uh, she was like, Oh, like, uh, you should go meet him basically. Like he does like all kinds of bushcraft stuff and and, like, and you'd probably have fun meeting him. So I went and met him and he kind of introduced me to like more of like the indigenous side of knowledge. Cause like, I didn't like know like anything about my own culture until I met him basically. Okay. So it's yeah. like, and like, so hey, he like basically like l- talking to him and like watching and being inspired from that to watch videos about like the kind of like traditional crafts. That's what got me wanting to make baskets and like canoe paddles and stuff like that. And it's like, he just basically like opened my eyes from like, just like Swedish spoons to like uh, that, like I was like an, an indigenous carver. That like I, I didn't have to try and be in the Swedish carver, basically, which I, I still try, I still love making Swedish spoons all the time and stuff like that. But it's like, it's just kind of given me this thing where it's like, it's my own culture too, basically. Like my own culture were really good wood carvers. And you like uh, uh, he introduced me to the crooked knife kind of thing. So, like, um, it's like a one handed draw knife that I have some videos on my Instagram using them. And like, Reed Schwartz makes some, Jared Dahl makes some, but like typically, like, uh, they just made them, like, uh, people would just make them themselves from a file or something.
0: Yeah. Uh, and
1: uh, yeah, so he introduced me to those. And now, now like, that's like one of my favorite tools and everything and it's like one that was designed by indigenous people. Uh, it's kind of my eyes, like my outside like just like the way I look at things and everything and like making the eastern woodland style spoons where it's like keel-less I don't know if you've noticed those, it's kind of cool. So if you look at a lot of indigenous spoons like in, the, in North America, they don't have a keel. Like um when you look at it from the side view, it's flat and then from the top down view, it's wide where the handle meets the bowl. So it's like the opposite of like the Swedish keel. So, so they it's kind like what people
0: call like a kayak or canoe spoon. Am I imagining that right? Like,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. And there's, yep. okay. Yeah. And, and there were people, yeah, there's like very old like examples. That's what the people, indigenous people made. Yeah. Something similar uh like that. Are there any examples of those spoons that you can see? I I think that'd um, be
1: quite fascinating. Yeah. Like um, if you look up Ojibwe style spoons and like um, in museums and stuff like that, you'll see like uh, big bowls with like kind of like straight handles that are like kind of like wide, Uh but also um, I think in the West coast that they used to make uh, spoons from horn that were like that design, like kind of like kayak spoon design. I'm pretty sure that's like where that came from. Mm -hmm. First, it's funny.
0: That's like before I made my uh, first wooden spoon, I actually made bone spoons because bone was the first material that I kind of got into crafting because in New Zealand, like uh, the Maoris used more bone for making like pendants, uh, fish hooks. They used it to, to catch fish. And then later it became more of a ornamental hook that people would wear like jewelry. But oh, when wow. I kind of rediscovered, like, oh, I like making stuff, I was like, yeah, what can I make? And then when I was young, I started, uh, I had a, I had some time working with bone. And then I made also a few little pendants and pieces. And then I was like, I want to make something useful. So, actually, I, my first spoons were were bone. So, it's funny you say that. And that, wow. yeah, kind of came, came more or less on its own. And then after this, I was like maybe i try wood <laughs> and i actually much <laughs> prefer wood because it's not as uh like dusty and dirty i don't need uh, electrical tools it's much quicker and yeah i haven't carved bone for quite a while but it's funny that you mentioned originally they were horn or bone uh, utensils which gave the uh, idea for the shape there's oh, yeah. somewhere
1: yeah yeah they like uh, i think those kayak ones and in- particular word, but like the ones with like the big bowl that also like the, the non keel like yeah uh, Ojibwa style spoons um like uh and I think they're mostly made from crooks too just because like the kind of bend that was in them and mm-hmm. uh, like uh, just from like all the examples that I've seen, like if you type in like Ojibwe style spoon or something uh, in Google like um uh, like a lot of the spoons you see just kind of like that angle and it's got like um a call spoon kind of crank where it's like the bowl is one angle and the handles the other. Uh, okay And so it's got it's kind of interesting that way too yeah and there's like almost always a pot hook on them at like the very top of the handle just so like it doesn't like slide into the pot yeah uh, and like they would have been used in clay pots and stuff like that but like indigenous people in this area had were using copper for a long time because this is one of the only places in the world where you could find like chunks of copper just like on the ground that you, you could pick up in cold hammer.
0: Oh, really? Fascinating. So the copper—it's just...
1: like a super pure.
0: Oh, wow! And what did they mostly use the copper for? Yeah. What were they making with the copper?
1: I think it was like a lot of like uh, ornamental things, but I, they made some tools. That I'm pretty sure, and like, um, but I have a copper crooked knife, but I, like, I don't think an example has actually been found of a copper crooked knife yet. Uh, so it's like it's just kind of like wishful thinking that we hope uh, that that there was some. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing I've seen recently, there was a friend that was doing archaeology just like a half hour away from me, and he unearthed like a copper thunderbird that was at least five hundred years old. So it's basically like a. Uh, one of our beliefs is like uh, like the thunder in the sky and everything. Like it's caused by the, the, the thunderbird.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the thunderbird and, was an ornamental, so was like
1: one of like our, our spirits, and uh, yeah. Well, like it was just something that like, um, there was like a symbol for it basically like, uh, but like still like even today, like basically like my friend showed me a picture of it and I was instantly like, uh, is that a Thunderbird? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. but like, and it's like 500 years old or more. And it's like, I, I instantly recognize it. But, and it's like, a, there's also a site like an hour away from here called the petroglyphs, which is like a whole bunch of rock paintings. Like, I think it's the oldest rock paintings in Canada. And, and like um, so that's like a, well, we think it's pretty closely related to us because oh. like there's like a like a giant heron on it and stuff like that, and like that's one of our clans, and like there's just a bunch of things that kind of like uh, relate.
0: That's I so know. cool that there's yeah all that history. That's be quite exciting. Like I don't know, it's the child and me. Like oh, I want to <laughs> go out and walk around and see what i can find and go explore some caves and oh, dig yeah. around no because yeah who knows what's still lying around out there to be discovered yeah
1: oh especially after you do archaeology too because like uh, i did that job for like a season as an archeo- archaeological liaison no uh, so it's like uh, going out on that i didn't get to find very much but like uh the few things that I did find just made me realize and like talking to people about what they found. It's like, wow, like there's so much that like we haven't seen yet. And like, even over in Europe and everything too, but it's like, I had one of my teachers from college. Like he, he gave me a stone ax that he found on this property. That, in this pig pen, his pigs were rolling around and unearthed uh, the stone that, that, that was just across the lake from me basically. So it's like, it was good. It was definitely my people. It's just like a, it's hilarious, and the thing's polished, it's beautiful. I ended up giving it to the the cultural center on my reserve, but like it's just crazy yeah. how all that stuff's still around like that Thunderbird that made a copper that was just like unearthed that, like, a, so much stuff around,
0: yeah. But did they have um, see, I really don't know much about it, but did the people then, the indigenous people, they traveled a lot, right? They didn't have um. Like so much a settlement so it wouldn't be like if you found something keep looking there'll probably be other artifacts no it weren't the weren't they very uh what's it so
1: moving <laughs> the, the nomadic i think yeah thanks but so yeah but i think um so one of our main things was that in the uh, the summer we'd all go down to like lake ontario which is over by toronto uh, so like the North shore of Lake Ontario. And like, I guess we'd like um be like in like big camps during that time. Like we'd fish and stuff like that. And then the winter, because the food was more scarce, we all split up and we went North kind of like into like the area that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, a, there's like random spots where it's just kind of like certain families would have been like camping in that area for a long time. But it's like, a, you definitely find more stuff like a bit more South where we're having like the main settlements and stuff. Like that's where you're, you're going to find like almost like the village kind of stuff like the giant mounds of like uh, or like yeah, sometimes it's not even like the Anishinaabe like there's uh, there's so much other cultures around here but it's like there's there's villages that just around that area as well like the, the North Shore Lake Ontario where you can find just like giant mounds of clams or says random stuff like that like I'm not sure if it's clowns but that you call it a midden so it's mm-hmm. like basically like an ancient trash pile where people were just like throwing all the stuff that you, like, you couldn't eat, like basically your garbage in a pile. So yeah. it's like, you find that and like, you can see what people were eating and stuff like that. So it's like when you find giant middens and that's where like, you usually know that there was like a big okay, kind of settlement there or something like that. But a lot of times, yeah, it's just kind of like, you're looking for like random little things. Like you find an arrow, like one random arrowhead in the bush or something like that, and it, like then you do all the excavation around it, like the 10 meters or whatever around it and you find nothing else. Uh, so then like you mark it off as like, it's just a random find.
0: Okay. And, like, and that was kind of
1: something just out of that boundary. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's what was, what was the, yeah, your yeah. job then as this liaison, archaeologist liaison, what was the, what was exactly your, your role there?
1: Uh, it's kind of funny that one of the main reasons I stopped was because like, I, I thought like it, it wasn't just going to be like another labor job, but basically, like, uh, it's kind of funny. Like, I was uh, doing it with people f- from universities and stuff like that. Like, they were like studying for their masters, they were doing their thesis and stuff like that. But, and here's me, like, uh, I had a two year uh, diploma at Outdoor Adventure Education. I was right there beside them, digging holes, like, getting paid the same amount. And it's just like, uh, it was really weird. <laughs> but, um, that uh, so, like, uh, we were basically just dig a hole and, and then we'd screen the dirt. Like, uh, and then, um, we'd walk five steps or something like that. And then we would dig another hole and screen the dirt. And then if you found something, you had to like uh, excavate the area and like, uh, and like kind of like sections and keep going bigger to see if there was anything around it. And if there wasn't, then you just continued on. And then I would just have to like, kind of like write down. Like kind of stuff, just like what we, like what they were doing to like, give back to my reserve. Cause it's like, this is all like, kind of like technically like our, our land and stuff like that. Mm-hmm and so it's just kind of like uh and then working with the native communities and stuff like that well with the archaeology to just like make sure like everyone's happy
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then make sure it's just being respected or whatever
0: yeah and then you didn't want to keep yeah. doing it just because it was then what more yeah it was more just labor <laughs> more digging then <laughs> that's
1: yeah exactly part of it. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, like uh, I was there and it's just like I could be carving spoons right now because uh, <laughs> it was like after I had already started carving spoons. Okay, yeah. Yeah,
0: lots of uh-huh. hours, huh? lots of time away there. Yeah. No. Yeah, and this crooked knife, that's, that's quite fascinating because that's something you don't see people use like m- much of, but it's there. Um, but you did mention a few knife makers making these uh, crooked knives. Is that a tool you use then like often or sometimes for
1: specific things? So uh, I try and use them pretty often. I've realized I can carve most of a spoon with it. It's kind of like, it's like our Swiss army knife. Like uh, you can kind of like do a lot of everything with, like I've seen guys like put like a stick up to a tree and like walk up that stick and then like cut down a birch tree, like uh, cut the bark, like cut a line down the bark with a Uh crooked knife. So it's yeah. like, and watching him use it, it's like he just treats it like it's any other knife. He just walks up there and he just rips it right down the tree. Uh, like it's his hand basically. So it's like, it, it was literally just like their everyday knife. It was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and it, they had it, straight it, knives too.
0: Okay. Because this is literally, I've only seen a photo and a short video I saw on your Instagram of you using it. And it's like a yeah, straight blade and towards the end. So it's flat and towards the end, it has a curve. Um, you're showing me one there, yeah. Sometimes,
1: so the the curve. Uh, so the the so right now I'm showing Simon one uh, that is straight, because this one I got from Maine. So, I've been buying some recently on eBay because, like, I just like them so much. Uh, but um, yeah. So the curve was mostly so it didn't dig into your work, I think. But also, it was if you wanted it to be able to carve bowls and stuff like that. But it's like so Uh if you make it straight. So if I have a straight blade, like the one I'm showing Simon right now, and I try and carve across something that is the same width as my straight blade, then my tip is probably going to dig into it and leave a mark. But if you have it bending up at the end, yeah, your tip never digs in. Mm-hmm. So that's like one plus of it, but also, so uh, my friend also makes them, but like uh, Ian, uh, I think it, it's hard to get a hold of one from him right now, but like, um, He's one of the only indigenous makers that I know that makes them. my friend, Caleb from Canadian bushcraft. And uh, I should have mentioned him too. when I was naming the other people.
0: <laughs> yeah. I saw, um, in a few of your videos, you were, uh, kind of working with him. You must be, I don't know, quite close. And quite often you were doing stuff together, carving things and going on missions. So that's quite cool to have. Yeah. Other people
1: around you. So that Yeah. Okay. And how did you but, meet like, him? Um, I mentioned him earlier. But, so that was about like when I was building that, um, it, it's called a wigwam. I was building it. He was building that traditional shelter and I went over and met him. And then like he introduced me to the indigenous oh, yeah. knowledge. So I still yeah. hang out oh. with him all the time.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. And he's also um, got a podcast, right? Bushcraft. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: very
0: cool and is he making a living from it also like teaching and doing good courses or, or?
1: And so he does a bit of like everything it's kind of funny like that and so he goes and like he does like homesteading stuff he will go and teach like bushcraft skills like he he went to like bushcraft symposiums and stuff like that but like uh so he teaches like uh bushcraft courses he like uh, he does blacksmithing hey blacksmithing is one of his main things as well but it's like what people like uh, he gets asked to like teach indigenous skills a lot is one of like the main things. so like colleges from the area like have them come in and, like take people out to the sugar bush to make maple syrup the traditional way that indigenous people did or like take them out to his trap line and stuff like that yeah mm-hmm. so he just kind of like he, he does a little bit of everything like he does wood carving like we were making a pile together not too long ago And, like, I'm getting into blacksmithing a little bit because of him. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, there's
0: just some of those people, through their experience, they've just kind of can do everything. (laughs) Like, super handy to have a friend like that. Like, I need a hand with this. Like, no worries. They're always kind of got an idea, at least. Very cool. And so, blacksmithing, yeah, what, apart from, sounds like you're going to, yeah, you'll keep carving calving spoons is there other things you plan to go more into or do you want to just um stay with us for a while or kind of where do you see it where do you see the next while
1: so i actually have quite a few plans so a big thing so like right now i've been getting into some knife handles like i i just really like shiny knife handles making knife handles so that's mm-hmm. something I'm hoping I can get into more of. But I've recently started, like, um, I made friends with uh, this guy in that Peterborough, which is sitting near me, called and his company is called East City Knife Co. And uh, he does knife sharpening, and he sells, like, Japanese knives. But he also sells, like, some carving knives and stuff like that, too, like some Moro 106s and stuff. So and it was really cool to meet him, and he's got a Tormac. So um, I bought one of the Heunen home jigs, Um and, uh, so for like the more one hundred sixes sixes and stuff. So like, I started going over there and hanging out with him a lot and I might start like making handles uh, for his customers that come and ask me for handles. Uh, Cause like, uh, all like there's people everywhere that have like a uh, kitchen knives with like uh, old handles on them and stuff that want them replaced. Mm-hmm. So I might start doing something with that. I might start doing some knife sharpening with him. I, I already make the, like, I started making black ash baskets a couple months ago, which is like a whole process in its own like uh, uh, just like uh, having to like take the tree out of the woods and like hit it to separate the layers before you even like use the material to weave with and that's a traditional thing people did around here so i really like black ash but then there's birch bark canoes and uh, and so do you know about birch bark canoes
0: no i just saw again on your instagram that you've made at least a model maybe you've made more but i don't know um yeah Yeah. how they're made or what they're really used for now you can tell me
1: yeah so that was basically like um it was basically like the car of this area so like yeah you've heard of the fur trade Uh right of like um, how like Canada got started basically like everyone going after the beavers so like there's stories of like when um, the Europeans pulled up to like the, the shores of Nova Scotia, I guess like they were like a, a bunch of natives paddled out in birch bark canoes that basically looked pretty, uh, pretty similar to the way uh, like people can uh, like some people can still build them. So basically it's like at first contact, uh, the natives were already in these super refined boats and, and like people have theorized that it's like, they must've taken like a few thousand years of development to get to this point basically. Cause it's like, and the birch bark canoe in my mind is like complete perfection. It's like, and uh, you start with the bark uh, of a birch tree, which like the, the way like the, the grain grows on it just makes it able to bend uh, like uh, all the other trees can't, That uh, to like, just like make a shape of a canoe like that without breaking. And then like you cut gores in the side, but uh, the main thing about a birch bark canoe is you make the frame first or like you make the, like the skin first. So it's like, you just like, sew the bark uh, onto some gunnels basically. And then you put the frame inside of it, which is like the opposite of like all other boats.
0: Yeah, right. And you stitch
1: the bark together with what other yeah. natural material? But, what what did they use there? Yeah, so that, that that's like the whole poetic thing about the whole thing. So it's like you harvest the bark. Uh, so like you have to find like really good quality bark. And then you use you the cedar tree uh, for like all the parts would pretty much be cedar. Which like mm-hmm. splits like uh, amazingly, like you can cut like a cedar down, and, like the heartwood's basically dry already too. So like you can instantly just start using it, and like it, it splits like an absolute dream. It's super light. It carves super easy. So that like the entire thing's made of cedar, super light, and then all the bindings, like um, uh, everything that lashes it together, is spruce root. No, mm-hmm. which like you, you can just dig up out of the ground. So, like, people were able to make the, these things with stone tools. And oh. it's just like absolutely amazing. And it's like, it's pretty simple. Like, a lot of it, like, uh, basically, like, when I first started, I was like, oh, I'm a carver. Like, I'm going to do so much carving. But it's like, ideally, to make a birch bark canoe, it's a lot of splitting. Like, you, you can, like, cedar splits so perfectly that if you grab the right tree, like, you can pretty much split everything right down to its perfect dimensions. And it's very little carving. Okay. Yeah, it's just like a really cool, like uh, they could be using like stone axes really as wedges basically and just like getting like most of it done. You could burn the tree down with fire if you wanted to or like just put it like just cut a line down it, and the bark will just pop off if you get it at the right time in June.
0: So it's much about kind of yeah, yeah, knowing like the, the material, thing about it. and yeah, knowing know the right place to hit. It's something that's maybe similar to a spoon, just knowing the right angles, the little these little details, and then can make it look easy. But for someone from the outside, is like, whoa, how the, how does this even yeah. happen? It can seem very confusing.
1: If- but it, so if anyone's interested in that too, there's like an hour long video on YouTube. But Caesar Nawashish N- N- from the um, Ontario a national film board I think or some kind of national film board but like um hey he builds a canoe start to finish like uh, and he's just like in in his backyard basically kids just running around everywhere and its just like he goes out into the woods cuts a birch tree down with his axe peels it and just like makes the whole thing by hand and like um uh, it's like a, it's a really strong boat too which is one of the cool things oh and like you seal the outside so wherever like you do make slits or if there's a crack or something you just seal it with spruce pitch uh, so like that uh, the gum that comes out of a spruce tree that uh, you just seal it with that but like they're pretty strong and if anything breaks it's like you can repair it kind of thing mm-hmm. but it's just like a, it's a really cool boat and they're super light like they're, they're usually like uh, like 40 pounds or something even lighter and if you can make it really good and everything yeah.
0: can they be carried do you know like is it
1: stable no, enough? yeah yeah
0: you can take it out of the water yeah. and, and load it
1: yeah so like that, that was the main thing about them is that like uh, they were so light like um honestly like some of the best ones like you can pick up with one hand so like oh, the, oh. that's why it was made for this area because like my entire area that i live in is just small lakes basically so it's just like um uh, thick forest small lake thick forest small lake kind of thing so they were doing portaging a lot there which is like what the french called it but like uh, so like that we had like old canoe routes basically where it's like footpaths from like one lake to another that were like even here already when europeans came like they were just following following our existing routes for the fur trade basically and mm-hmm. like a, then and europeans like they saw our canoes basically they came in and like their boats that were going backwards or whatever and it just like wasn't working so like uh, they ended up employing a bunch of natives to build all the birch bark canoes for the fur trade and they just upsized it so instead of having like a 16 foot canoe they're making like a 30 foot like birch bark canoes that wouldn't last as long but they were taking super heavy loads like mm-hmm. if you look up anything about these voyager guys like they were like uh, expected to take like a 200 pound load across the thing and they're like they had to take like two 200 pound loads or something crazy of beaver pelts like they were just doing insane stuff and they were doing them these birch bark canoes that, like, they were just kind of like getting people to just like push out really fast.
0: Oh, no, wow. it's like they I, just upscaled, like, yeah, made everything bigger yeah. and made it into more yeah. of a transport vessel. Because, exactly, earlier on, it was how many people, like, in the earlier ones would be for one or two people, that, like, would be yeah, a standard.
1: I, I like, but I I'll probably like two, three, four, like, it would be uh-huh. like a family kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or like hey, if you had older kids, then yeah, you might have to make another one or something. But like, yeah, there's stories of like people being at a hunting camp or something, and it's like, oh, you know what? You go on ahead with the like uh, with the animal. I'll stay back here and I'll I'll like I'll make a canoe and I'll just meet you there. Oh, like, wow. uh, so like you send the one guy off with the one birch bark canoe, and uh, the crafter, uh, the craftsman, just stays there and makes another one. that uh, paddles home. No, that's so
0: cool. And then how long would like someone with experience, then how long would they need a few days or?
1: So a birch bark canoe, I think the typical thing is like, once you have all the materials, it's like two weeks. Okay. So like, yeah, it's not quick. Uh, And a big part of it is, um, it's it's mostly the stitching. Mm -hmm. And And it's like a, a big time sink.
0: Would they... Yeah, you said you could repair them. Like these canoes, did they keep for a long time? Do you know it wasn't like disposable? You oh, make yeah. one quick to row across a thing, you would make a solid one. Takes a few weeks, like you said, and then you could keep it for how long? Could you keep one in use but, for? But, you
1: know, yeah. Well, like um, uh, there's ones at the canoe museum uh, near here that I think they have something like 1700s and stuff, and it's like you couldn't paddle them anymore. But it's like yeah. it's a natural. I actually. The oldest canoe, I think, uh, oldest birch bark canoe in existence, I think, came from the UK, and it's because they, it was gifted to someone. They brought it back to the UK, and then it sat in like uh, uh, some kind of like um, garage or something uh, for like however many years, and then like uh, they they brought it back to Canada, I think, and not too long ago or something like that, or like someone like found it and it was like this big story. Cause it's like a, and it was cool. Cause the only part that had rotted out was the bottom of it, which was touching mm-hmm. the ground and the rest of it was still there. So it's like, it, it's all organic material. And if it's left out there, it will go away. So like you don't find birch bark canoes around very often They're like ever. Like you don't find super old ones just because of like the way that they are. And it's like, I don't think a birch bark canoe would typically be sunk into the bottom of the lake. And it's, I don't think it's heavy enough that it would have went into the muck like, I don't know if you know what dugout canoes, like, you can find those, like, people still find them at the bottom of lakes and stuff, because they, like, submerged into mud, and just kind of, like, yeah. it looks like a hollowed it's- tree it's- or something. Yeah. Nah, but, like, birch bark canoe, it's, like, I think there's, like, just so much, like, less material there that, like, I, I don't, I think that's why, like, we haven't found one, like, at the bottom of a lake or something yet. I, I hope we do, because, yeah. like, uh, that's something about, like, the culture that, like, kind of, like, drives me a bit insane, where it's, like, Europeans and everything like it had metal work for so long, and it's like the only thing we really had was copper. And so it's like everything copper and like stone. So it's like everything else we made out of wood and like all our baskets and everything. It's like it's gone. Mm. It's just like uh, I'll never be able to see those super old uh, examples unless like there's like some super like crazy for preservation that happened in some kind of like bog <laughs> around here or something. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. And because the weather, no, like in perfect dry somehow conditions, maybe it would last a long time. But there, like in winter, that's another thing where you're living. The weather yeah, is super be, uh, quite extreme. What's the, yeah, what's that like? How does the seasons affect your work?
1: Like, uh, so then in the winter, it gets definitely pretty cold. Like, it can be like my, and, but if it's being an actual winter and behaving itself kind of thing it, it'll be like m- minus 20 to minus like a minus 30 when it's like really cold celsius yeah and um in the summer though it can get warm too like it can get up to plus 30 celsius in the summer and right now it's the fall so like we're hopping around like the 10 around 10 to like zero and I've, i saw snow on the other thing at one point but we have so uh, it's definitely cooling down now it's starting to, di- to dip into freezing at nighttime now uh, like yes. um, all the leaves around me but except for like the pine trees and stuff are all orange and red and yellow uh, so like my drive into my reserve like because uh, it's just like it's just all forest as i'm driving in basically and like i'm on like a, the point of like um yeah i'm basically on a point surrounded by water So, like, on the way in, it's just, like, all these, like, maple trees and birch trees and everything are just, like, all, like, beautiful colors right now because it's the fall.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. The maple trees, like, for me, when I think of maple, I think of maple syrup. (laughs)
1: Like, is that literally the
0: same? Is it a special kind of maple tree where the
1: maple syrup comes from? so i uh, a sugar maple is the main one but what i found interest. so i did my first maple syrup last year actually and one of the reasons i want to do it is because it turns out like uh, uh, from what i know uh, that indigenous people i think were the first people to make maple syrup uh, in this area but like a lot of people like discredited us because they're like oh like uh, they couldn't have done that or something but it's like a Or like, we didn't even typically make maple syrup. We made maple sugar usually, which was like one step more. So you can use any maple tree, I guess. They all have sugar in in them. Uh, But uh, the one that has the most is is the sugar maple. So ideally, you'd have a bunch of sugar maples tapped, and you can get some other ones too. But over in Manitoba, they don't have sugar maple. I think they only have like Manitoba maple or box elder. And you can make syrup from that as well. You you can also make Mm -hmm. perch syrup too. But uh, so with that, it's like you tap the tree, you get all the sap and then you have to boil that down. You're basically just yeah, boiling the water off until it's like down to like, it's really thick syrup. And mm-hmm. then that that's where like some people stop once it's like a, in the 60s, so a percent of sugar content. Or that you then take it and like, you boil it a bit more and then you pour it into a wooden trough. So this is how like indigenous people used to do it. You could pour it into like a big basswood wooden trough and then you take a wooden paddle and you just keep stirring it around like vigorously, basically. And what that's doing is like as it's cooling down and like the basswood, it's it's a really porous wood. That's like it's super easy to carve and everything. But because it's so porous, it's sucking in all the water that's left inside that maple syrup. And at the end of that, as you're mixing it around and you crystallize it and into like a and powdered sugar or whatever, basically like crystallized maple sugar. Uh-huh. And then like, uh, or you could also make it into like um, you can make it. So it was more of like a cake almost like not quite crystallized, but like it was like still sugar and you could put that in like a cone or something like that. So you could travel it around and trade it with people. Oh, yeah. It's so it's tasty, like, well, we've, yeah. And it tastes really good. Like maple sugar is amazing.
0: Yeah. Does, um, can you, what's it like to carve? Have you carved the um, sugar maple and made spoons from it or is that? Right, <clears throat> problems because of the high sugar content like super sweet spoons
1: so i don't know uh, so i haven't but like actually then dawson from michigan sloid i've seen that he carves them quite a bit but one of the i think that a lot of people stay away from sugar maple because it's really hard okay like it's a super hard wood so like i definitely don't carve it very often if i even have i don't know <clears throat> uh, i definitely wouldn't cut down a sugar maple tree though it's like a, a maple syrup season when i'm looking around it's just like i'm pretty much taking any maple i can get and it's like ideally you'd have a sugar maple though because that's less boiling mm-hmm, so yeah. it's like you can tap a bunch of maple trees with low sugar but you're gonna have to boil them a lot to get all of that water content in
0: yeah are you then like i don't know you seem to know a lot about trees and woods and your surroundings and did this come then after you kind of Yeah, after you got into the spoon carving and you learned more about the indigenous culture and this through it. Or did you already had a connection to kind of outdoors and trees in this sense? Or did
1: that come later? So when I first started carving, I had no idea what I was looking at when like I was looking into the forest, basically. Like I was walking in there. I'm just basically like, oh, what can I like carve in here? And like I was basically just like, I remember one of the first times I walked into the woods and around my reserve, trying to try and get my own wood. I cut, I cut down the small maple tree cause it had maple leaves on it. And I, I knew it was a maple <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cause that's like that it's on our flag, basically. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's the only thing that I could confirm that I knew what that tree was, but it's like, a, and as I was growing up, I thought the, like, but when I looked around, I thought like everything around me was basically maple or cedar, but it's like, as you get more into it, it's just like, Oh no, like that's hickory right there. That's the, there's some black cherry over there in the woods a little bit over by that swamp for some reason. And there's a few birches growing by them as well. And it's like uh, uh, all these things that you thought look kind of like birch trees. It's like, these ones are actually like poplar and stuff like that. And like, there's just like, I learned so much. And I think part of that was uh, from getting the spoon carving. That's what like kind of started like the rudimentary version of it. But then meeting my friend Caleb and like Mm -hmm. talking to him, yeah, so it's like a, being able to learn all the different uses for the trees. Because uh, one thing he also talked about was that um, so like uh, there was this thing called fasting, where um, that you go out and like you don't eat for like however many days and like you go on like a spiritual journey kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's, spiritual journey might not be the way to describe it, but it's basically like a almost like a coming of age thing. But like, yeah, I remember him telling me that you weren't able to do it until you could list like. 30 different tree species or something and like all their uses or whatever. And it's like it, hearing that inspired me because it just made me realize that it's like, that's what people did used to know. And like, that's kind of like, but what I aspire to be is kind of like a craftsman of the past. It's like my like ideals, basically, if I could be anyone, it would be a craftsman from half or many years ago in indigenous culture that could just make snowshoes, baskets, canoes, and everything like that like um, and like doing it quickly for that uh, to be able to like uh, continue your life basically it's just like it's such like a beautiful thing like the the practicality of it and everything it's just like i'm sitting here fiddling with things all the time but it's like uh, and like trying to make things look nice but it's like some of my favorite craft people are the people that were just able to quickly and dirtily make a birch bark canoe to just to continue living their life or like uh, but it's like uh, they still look nice but it's just like they were just like doing it so quickly and everything. And it's like it's some things that I look at and I'm like, oh, that's a little bit crude. But it's just like I, I could probably I might never make a canoe that good. It's just like uh, I just have so much respect for the people of the past, even mm-hmm. like a, for a, all cultures, really. Because yeah, it's just like people that were so in tune with their surroundings, like they knew everything that was around them, all the trees and what their uses were. And it's kind of like that's kind of what I aspire to. And yeah. I doubt I'll ever get there, though. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah definitely Yeah, it is inspiring like yeah with the people that exactly use it like n- as a necessity now we can choose to like learn more about these things you no, know? gathering foods and, and and making things and yeah connecting more with the nature but yeah back in the day like you say it was just you you learned it growing up uh, from the people around you and but it's very cool yeah it's really cool that it is like wow. something that's this spoon carving has brought you more into this and now you can choose to go deeper and deeper into it it's very cool that it's
1: that that's not that. even getting into like the weed that i didn't even touch on the food too it's like all those trees uh-huh. basically too it's like a, the inner bark of a birch tree you can like crush that up and make it into flour it's just like uh, i'm almost trying to stay away from that edible stuff because my friend caleb mm. has so much of that that he could give me too but it's like uh, I want to like try and focus in on craft basically. Mm-hmm. So and it's like, I have a lot of this other knowledge too, but it's like, I just feel or Like I fear that if I like go too much into some of that other stuff, it's like it, it will take time away from and thoughts away from my craft. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to focus on the craft side of the trees for like the most part. So instead of like going into like all the edibles and like processing my own acorns and stuff like that into flour, like my friend Caleb does, which I, I help him do. But it's yeah. like, um, Like uh, I've never, I've never actually properly went hunting and stuff and like butchered my own animals up or anything like that yet. Uh, I've been fishing, but like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it's like, um, I'm not quite traditional in that sense, but it's like, uh, I like the traditional craft life, which uh, I realized I'm super privileged to be able to do that because like, as we were talking about people back in the day, it was like, it was funny. It was weird if you didn't know how to build a birch bark canoe, just because it was like, that was something that you also needed in your life. You 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 didn't have time to just specialize in things like like we do now.
0: Yeah, totally. Oh, all those things. I'm the same. Like I could very easily get go down these rabbit holes, and again, maybe for someone who's doing it uh, as a hobby and has some spare time, yeah, no problem. But oh, if you're like want to go deeper into the the craft and making, then yeah, it's a kind of decision you have to make. No, and put the time into that and yeah make the things to to be at the market on time with something to show and uh, yeah uh it can no. be easy to get like distracted like we said at the start at least getting distracted by these things is one is definitely better than just the youtube rabbit holes and things it's like no. <laughs> interesting knowledge but yeah like you say you've chosen to uh focus more on the crafting side of it within oh. the crafting side is there um Spoons is still going to be the the main thing, or is there I'm just starting huh. to play a little bit. I want to make my own shrink pot is something I want to do. I haven't done that yet. um a few yeah. bowls I've made. I've made my first ingrain cup recently, so that's stuff I cool. want to explore more. How's it yourself?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I'm kind of about the same, but it's like yeah uh, I've been trying to like just make sure that like I do make the other stuff so I know how. But it's like, uh, yeah. I feel like uh, spoons have just been like such a cool thing for me and like the community and everything. It's like, I don't, I, at this point, I feel like it's never something I could just walk away from. Yeah. But it's like, I want to do all these other things too. So it's like my yeah. my name on Instagram starting to feel a bit more weird and everything the Johns would wear. Cause it's like, eventually it's like, uh, I'm going to have baskets. And like, uh, I, I do a bit of leather work and stuff too for knife sheaths. It's just like, I, uh, I like to think of myself as a general like kind of crafts person <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's like uh, but but like I wouldn't wear definitely like probably my main thing though like the spoons and stuff just because it's like I, I feel like I just know so much about it and I still enjoy it uh, so it's like it's definitely not something I want to stop and like p- people buy them so what which is nice but I think eventually it'll just be something where it's like i'm not making spoons all day every day it'll just be like i'm always making sure that i have like spoons in stock or something or like i'll be going like i'll be doing a run of spoons at this time or something like it might get like that eventually Is mm-hmm. like a, a birch bark canoe would definitely by being able to make and sell like a, some of those bigger items would definitely make my, my living a bit easier like um something i recently am doing is I'm, I'm building one of those shelters actually the how i met Caleb was we were making a shelter for a place and now Hey, well, we're being paid to make one together. And like we've made one another one together, but, but since then too. But we're being paid to make a wigwam. So, which is like basically just like a bunch of like, um, cedar poles or, or it can be like ironwood poles bent over, but it's basically just a bark lodge. So, lodge that you cover up in bark. Okay. So, it's and like someone's paying
0: you. That- privately they wanted that done for themselves,
1: or yeah okay cool. oh no not privately so uh that so it's for like um a pioneer village kind of thing so like a a Mm -hmm. historical village so they have like a blacksmith shop and stuff but then like uh, something they added a few years ago was they wanted to have like a a little indigenous camp because like that's something that like a lot of places actually did have because there was a lot of jobs for indigenous people at some of these places like in Mm -hmm. sewing or just like all kinds of different stuff like building their canoes uh, so like a lot of the times there would be like a camp outside the village or something uh, that might have some lot like kind of some temporary lodges and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, basically it's like, uh, I see opportunities for a lot of other things to build uh, that like uh, could help me make my living and uh, possibly easier than spoons, but I know I'd, I'd never want to like leave spoons.
0: Yeah. 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 It's kind of, yeah. I'm wondering too. I don't know. I'm for me too. It's just, I thought if, will I ever stop or will I ever get bored of this or something? But as long as it's kind of fun, Hey, I'm going to keep doing
1: well, actually, it. And I mean, yeah. So, so actually there. I guess I didn't touch on like, you mentioned the cups and stuff. I guess like when I think of spoons though, I think of like the cups, bowls, spoons and shrink pots and stuff. I think of that all kind of like in the same category. So it's like, if I'm doing any mm-hmm. of those, I, I don't really feel like I'm like, taking away from my spoons or something. Cause like, they're all like, kind of like, I don't know that I guess it's kind of cheesy that they all go together, a cup bowl and a spoon, but <laughs> it's just like, uh, yeah. yeah, but I don't feel like I'm stepping out of like, a, a, like my craft when I go and make one of those things, I feel like I'm still very much in it. But like when I go and make a basket or something, it's definitely out of it. Cause it's like, I, I'm not carving it to shape with knife cuts or something. Mm -hmm. it's more of, it's your hands that are the tools instead of your knives and stuff. So it's interesting.
0: Mm -hmm. And this, the cups and spoons have you, do you do them often or is that like, how was that in comparison to the spoon stuff? Is that a little part of it or
1: how many? Uh, So, uh, i've done a few bowls but i've realized i don't and uh, i i actually bought that so they you mentioned that you're on vacation in portugal right now yeah. right and i actually just bought some tools from belzebu who is in portugal i'm pretty sure so yeah. like I, I, those are in the coming to the mail for me right now and i ordered some different size hooks uh, so i could like kind of get to the bottom of cups and stuff because currently my, my only big hook is 65 millimeter which I thought was the perfect size for like cuxus and stuff. But now that like I look at it, it's like, damn, I'm going to need to make a pretty big cuxa if I'm going to get to the bottom of that thing with this hook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like trying to get a knife finish on it and stuff like that, where it's like, I, I only own right-handed knives. So uh, I actually, I got one of those Scorps from Belzebu. Basically like uh, because of that shelter that I was building, I, I treated myself to some tools recently. Like um got some knives from Kate Empertson and I got some hooks from Belzebu. And basically just like different diameters and stuff that I didn't have before. Try and like get it and chase that grain basically. Cause I've got a burl from that bowl that I'm working on recently too. And I ended up sanding the inside, which I hate sanding and like, uh, I shouldn't feel bad about it, but I feel bad about it when I do it. <laughs> Cause it's like, I, I know that there's a way to do it with a knife, but it's just like, uh, I'm basically taking the easy way out. Cause I don't want to fiddle with it for hours. I'd rather just sand it for a couple hours. <laughs> But yeah, that's kind of weird. So it's like trying to get, get a knife finish in that bro bowl was one of the things that made me finally want to buy a score, I was just like, okay, I don't have any left-handed knives. It's like, I literally just like, can't reach this spot right now. Like, uh, cause like my handle is just like hitting the side of the bowl any way I try. So it's just like, okay, like, let's just get mm-hmm. the score. And that's also like, uh, I started back when like some of the only tutorials out there were like the Jill Swan and the least offer ones from Zed. So. Uh, I've always kind of had this dreamy outlook at a score, but I can't manage to get one from Lee. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one of the reasons I wanted that too. But actually something uh, that it's so easy to skip over because I did nothing for this time, but it's like between 20, around 2018 to 20, or Basically, for two years, I don't even know exactly where it was, but I basically like kind of fell off the radar and played a bunch of World of Warcraft for a couple of years. And like, yeah, that was like, and yeah. you stopped
0: carving in that time, or did you?
1: Yeah, basically, like I didn't do like Jeez. anything other than play World of Warcraft, like uh, I almost ruined my life. Basically,
0: oh man, <laughs> yeah, beware, so- <laughs> beware of the game. I've never like got into the gaming stuff, but I know for some people, yeah, it can be a real. Hole you fall into and it can really take over and sounds like that was a bit your case, huh? For, for so yeah, long, yeah.
1: So I've realized I've got an addictive personality that mm. like uh, I I got into spoons and here look oh here I am like uh, I think it's been you know, like almost eight years or something or like seven years since I started carving but like but those two years in there I didn't really carve much so it's like uh, uh, I don't have that much experience uh, but um yeah it's interesting so i just played a ton of games for those times then i finally got out of it but like i sold my computer i was like okay no like i don't that, that's is isn't what i want my life to be like i wish i was just carving that past two years mm. and then it's been a year since i did that now like i sold my computer mm. like last summer or something like that so then like this past year has like my carving has improved more than like any other like uh basically looking at year to year like i can look at this past year and it's like i've improved the most in this year than i probably have in any other point of my carving journey or even like my life basically just like the amount that i've improved about like myself basically and like my craft yeah yeah yeah, this past year has just been awesome how did you
0: like what was then the point to like get out of that i know <laughs> yeah with addictive pers- things that we can get to and sometimes negative knots can be the case you're doing stuff you know it's not good but it's just like the easy option and familiar and it's definitely a, a struggle probably for a lot of people and i it's some of the things to like break break the cycle of doing the same thing you know it's not good for you it takes yeah.
1: takes something so to that, kind of click you out of it i thought about it the other day too and it's like uh, it was like I was in this weird cycle where like I knew it was bad but I couldn't take myself yeah. out of it and it was like um she's now my ex-girlfriend but she kicked me out but uh, god mm-hmm. bless her because if she didn't like I may have never gotten my life back on track yeah so it's like uh, I owe her a lot for doing that because I'm sure it was hard for her too because it's like uh like I was just like a, like uh a, I wasn't like a complete deadbeat or anything but it's just like uh like I was still like a, I w- I still acted the same way I do now, but it's just like I had an addiction, uh, yeah. basically. So it was like uh, basically being re- being removed from my like place where I just like felt all comfy, and then being sat there with like a. Uh, it started when I like what I was playing the games a bit still, but what happened was some friends were just like, "Oh, and like um, come play then tonight or whatever." And like I was sitting there carving a spoon, and I was like. I'd much rather carve this spoon. I basically just told them no. And then I sold my computer like a week or two after that. And then like, yeah. uh, I like I gained like uh, my Instagram in the past year. So uh, a year ago, like uh, I spent like uh, however, like two or three years getting up to like my, my 1000 followers, like my first thousand. And then in this past year, I gained like 9,000 followers, uh, but just from like uh, all the videos and content and stuff I've been posting. And like, uh, probably the amount I've been trying to improve myself, but like uh, a big thing that happened towards that was um, like, ever since like I started carving again uh, last year, I've like been like really focusing on improvement, like uh, basically just like really taking the time on my spoons and looking at them. Cause like, I just like, I felt like I wasted so much time in my journey while I watched like uh, all these people I used to follow, like just watch their like, watch what their skills were at now. So Mm -hmm. so I basically felt like I had to like catch up because it's like, I started when like a lot of like these other big names were kind of starting like back when like spoon carving was still relatively new, but it's like, I fell off the radar. So it's like, I felt like I shot myself in the foot. So I, I like tried extra hard this past year to like try and like be seen again by some of the, like those people, like mm-hmm. more knife used to follow me uh, but back when like I first started and like I came back and I looked and I was like, Oh no, the not followed me. I'm never going to get that back. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But there was stuff like that, that. So what, what like the biggest thing for my Instagram was um in January, like I think it was like January 16th or something. I decided I was just like, Oh, like I'm going to make a reel a day or something. And I did that for like, I, I told myself I was going to do it for a month. And I ended up doing it for like a bit over a month, like 40 days or something. I did a, a reel every single day. And then I started going more casually with it. Like I started making my Birch bark canoe. But like, uh, for some reason, like Instagram, like appreciated it and they just started promoting me basically. And like, so I got a couple of like reels that went viral, which like started making my followers kind of pop off. Mm -hmm. I I don't get very many sales from my Instagram. Like my money, like all comes from in-person stuff, but like, that's where like my names kind of started to get out there more. I like, uh, I've noticed some people in my area are like, yeah. are like following me now but it's like if you look at my analytics it's like a lot of people from like different places in the world that that likely won't buy stuff yeah <laughs> I okay know, but it's interesting but still,
0: you, I, yeah that's also a good question with the yeah, marketing online how much that helps with these but i'm just looking at it now and yeah i see one reel with forty thousand views of you coming soon it's quite quite crazy really but and i guess it was a matter of timing right if you started doing that when Instagram was started working with Reels and Reels were more shared and a popular thing, this is another area I really don't
1: know much about at all, the algorithms and
0: how this all works. It's
1: fascinating. I I thought I was late to the party. Like I was a little bit late to the party, but technically if you look at it, some people are only jumping on it now, but it's like when I first started doing them, like I was already like kind of like salty about Reels. I was just like, oh, I don't like that. Like uh, I feel like I have to do this to get seen or whatever yeah it's like i made one and like i realized that like i kind of liked like doing all the editing stuff because like Mm -hmm. uh, instagram's actually like uh, i I like their setup for editing things so like i when i started doing that i was like okay like this uh, this isn't so bad and it's like a lot of my recordings it's like i literally just turn my old uh, tripod is basically like an old coffee can that's sitting on my desk in front of me, just like with a random piece of wood, waiting my phone down. I just press record and it was just like a top down view of my hands. Yeah. And it's like, uh, and like those that like one of those videos got like 1.4 one point 4, four million 1.4 million views. <laughs> so it's like, a, I, I got, saw that and I was just like, okay, like, wow. Like that, uh, like, a i don't need to be all like fancy and have all this fancy camera equipment to like basically like get get viral videos so then i kept making them and not too long ago i got another one that went viral and it got like two million and it was just like a random video of me like burnishing a spoon and, like, it's funny like those videos when i uploaded them i look at them and like they get like a the views are coming in slow and i'm just like oh it's a crap video i shouldn't have done this it's like, yeah. oh, this isn't a very good one. I'm not very proud of this. And then, like, I put my phone down or something. I look at it a bit later, and it's just popping off. And it's like, oh, okay, Instagram's weird.
0: Wow, that is weird. I see it here. And, yeah, that's that's crazy. And then what do you use? Um, is the hashtags or something a big part of it or something? Or it's more just what was the reason? Do you know why I'm then like, one gets so I'm not sure.
1: So? Yeah. But I think it... I think it was literally like the, their search thing. Cause like I I'd, I'd noticed that like some of those videos like, I like it, it, you could almost like snap your fingers and see the change and a bunch of like non-followers would start liking your stuff. Mm-hmm. But, and it's like, sometimes they'd cut it off and then like they'd show it to like a different group of people. So it was just something weird that they were doing that I'd never quite yeah. pinpointed. I know at first some of my stuff was doing good because of hashtags Like, um, Mm -hmm. I know a few times, like my thing would end up in like the hashtag spoon carving and I would notice that it would get a bit more attention, but like the main thing with reels, I think was like them just like doing it in the explore tab or something. Or when like people are are, like, just like when they swipe up through their reels, I think they were just showing my stuff in those.
2: Uh
1: So I think like, that's when it started. And like, I think it shows it to different groups. Like sometimes like I'd be getting a lot of views, but I wouldn't be getting very many likes from the group that they'd show it to it'd be like a pause for like a few hours or something. And then they'd show it to a different group. That would be like, uh, I'd be getting a lot of views and a lot of likes because it would be like a bunch of bushcraft people or something.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It was just interesting. It just seems like they show it to like, kind of like those different kind of groups of people. And there's been times where I put like a reel and something and then like a, like a random song that I like. And then like someone will watch it and be like, Oh, like nice song or whatever. And I look at their profile and like that. they they like uh, they don't follow any spoon carvers, but I think they literally just saw that video because of the song that I had in it. Because that's the song that Instagram knows that they like or something that they watch reels with that song. Okay, so that's very yeah. mysterious. <laughs> yeah, the Instagram's a fiddly thing. Uh, I used to try and understand it. Now, like, uh, I was watching, I was trying to watch like everyone's stories and like trying to like a whole bunch of posts. Now I just post and I put my phone down. Yeah,
0: yeah. Otherwise, and, and- I mean, it's enough time. That yeah. probably most people spend, uh, and then getting yeah too into it,
1: yeah chasing yeah. like
0: some followers you could get quite
1: uh, well like uh, you think that, like uh, people tell you that if you if you're active on Instagram and you're watching everyone's stories and you're liking a lot of posts and commenting that like Instagram's going to promote you more like that's what mm-hmm. a lot of people think so people go all around they're just posting emoji comments on people's stuff mm-hmm. just to like get a comment in there even though it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah they think it matters and it's like a, i remember like a, i heard but my ex-girlfriend used to say that like it had to be a certain amount of letters or something for it to count as engagement and it's like i've just never bothered with that stuff or i tried it at first when i first yeah. came back to carving i was doing a lot of that wasn't noticing like anything i was like liking a bunch of like someone's pictures and then like following them like basically just like, like trying to get followers any way i could yeah and then like i realized that it's just like uh, none of that stuff really mattered. It's like a, just kind of like put your head down and like keep going just doing your thing. And then thinking of good hashtags are definitely a good idea though. Like um, I use like the same like 25 or whatever hashtags every time I, I copy and paste from my notes. Actually, yeah. it's not every time uh, I swap a few of them out depending on what it is. And sometimes I just like to like swap a few out and everything. But yeah, it's mostly the same hashtags every time that I've been doing for like the past year. Actually, yeah. I might have to, Oh, one sec. I'm going to have to plug my phone in.
0: Okay. Yeah, I do the so same. I
1: just want to pause okay. here, right here.
0: Yeah.
1: Wait, 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 one sec. I, I should. There we go. Just had a little uh pause to
0: change uh, the earphones. But um, yeah, fascinating stuff talking about the Instagram. And it's so funny, though, isn't it? We're doing this like ancient craft of working with knives and wood, but yet Instagram and the online stuff, uh, if you choose to do so, uh, can become quite a big part of it in a sense, a eh, marketing or yeah, just being seen and just sharing your yeah. work. Yeah. That's really fascinating. Mm.
1: That also like, it makes you feel validated by other carvers, I guess, when like they follow you and stuff too, or it's like, uh, And like you like to know that like other craftsmen see your stuff is like that's something that i always liked about instagram when i first started just kind of like the whole carving community how it's like people looking at each other's stuff and getting inspired and everything like if i didn't have any other spoons to look at it probably wouldn't be as fun to use instagram
0: yeah definitely yeah same for me like um yeah it's the same just kind of i've made this thing which i'm kind of proud of and then if it's just laying on my shelf, it's kind of nice to yeah put it out there. Other people yeah can appreciate or take some ideas the same as I do to other people. Often I'm seeing the work of other people and like oh I want to try this and uh, hopefully my spoons and my work can do the same. You know yeah, yeah. but it's funny the people like we're saying with the Instagram yeah it can draw you in and it can become something. Then yeah you start doing it more for the attention likes even with something like crafting no and looking like I've had people on my accounts just come and like 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 30 40 like a ridiculous amount of my photos but I know they haven't looked because it's all within one minute and I'm like they haven't looked at a photo they haven't read anything not that I'm so philosophical and write so much but normally I say a little bit and yeah there's then I'm like yeah okay i guess the the idea is just to grab my attention and for me to follow them but my rule is if someone my rule (laughs) that sounds strange (laughs) but generally if someone uh follows me i'll just click on their profile and if they're making stuff and carving spoons then i'll like follow them back but uh
1: 30 likes in
0: one minute isn't necessarily the way to get me to
1: yeah and that's one of those things yeah, like i tried that a year ago too like when i was doing like all of the random <laughs> that stuff annoying. like uh yeah exactly I, I was like oh like uh because like <laughs> i think someone told me that that was one of the things you're supposed to do it's like oh you have to get like the, you have to make sure they notice you or something so like you just yeah. basically like spam them mm-hmm. and it was just like uh, i quickly realized where it's like they'd like they'd go back and like they'd like one of your posts but not follow and it's just like yeah they clearly <laughs> saw you <laughs> yeah oh
2: that's funny yeah
1: yeah the the thing like uh basically like uh, advice to anyone out there it's like i wouldn't try like too hard on instagram like that because it's like uh, it just looks like you're trying too hard
0: <laughs> yeah like i'm on holiday i'm not going to be down at the beach <laughs> posing shirtless with a <laughs> like... yeah <laughs> uh oh man <laughs> that's hilarious but it's cool man i'm so yeah happy that i don't know that this uh this introduction this finding this first spoon suddenly it's like yeah giving you giving you so much it sounds like a like a living to make from learning so much meeting so many uh people it's so cool how yeah from something a simple start it can lead you down and yeah
1: it got me interested in my own culture like Mm -hmm, i wasn't even like yeah that's crazy
0: very cool yeah we won't uh go too much longer then because yeah we've already been chatting for a while but uh um yeah just thank you been really cool to to meet you and yeah spend some time with you learn a bit about about yourself and what you're doing and um, yeah i don't know if there's something else you want to to say but i'll um, put your uh instagram in the show notes as always if people want to see what you're doing and follow your work but yeah, yeah. i'm really happy man
1: thank you no i I just like a, i really enjoy your podcast because it's like when i first started carving i was looking at every single youtube video that was there I, i've seen them all i haven't seen them all nowadays because it's like i can't keep up with them all now but it's mm-hmm. like a, when i was looking through podcasts like last november or something just trying to find something to like listen to as i'm carving because like we can have stuff in our ears all day but our eyes are focused so it's like that podcasts like this are just so valuable because it's like uh, being able to listen to something about carving as you're carving, like that uh, there's not very, like there's like a, well, you can count on one hand how many spoon carving podcasts there are. Yeah. And, and it's like a, it's specifically about spoon carving really only like one, which is yours.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. And that's why I started because I was the same. I wanted to like, I always found it fascinating hearing about the people yeah. Why did they yeah. start? And, and this, so, uh, there wasn't one and then my wife kind yeah. of gave me the push and why don't you do it? All those is really not something I ever imagined. I was like, okay, I'll try. And now I'm just realizing each time I talk to someone, it's just uh, super interesting for me and yeah. Fascinating. And if people enjoy listening, then, then it's good for everyone. So.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, I, I love the episodes, honestly. Yeah. Like after this, I'm going to go listen to that one with George because I was telling Simon that I didn't want to uh, listen to George's interview before this and end up taking some of his answers to questions or something. Uh, I wanted to make sure that it was all my own answers.
0: Yeah. Um, No, it was fascinating. And that's the thing. I ask similar questions. How did you start in this? But uh, every time we're all from around the world, especially, now we all have these different ways in and depending where we live and depending on backgrounds, it's – always fascinating to hear about how we yeah, ended up doing this craft so yeah. cool thank you and yeah appreciate it have yeah. a good morning thank you we'll be in touch and uh, see each other's stuff Ye- on instagram
1: <laughs> yeah yeah you as well Good, okay, can't wait to see more stuff that you post
0: yeah okay john bye-bye bye-bye thank you thanks for listening to this episode If you want to see and follow the work of John, you can find him on Instagram at JohnsWoodenWear. I'm also on Instagram with the handle spoons. If you do enjoy these podcasts and you want to support them to continue, you can do that by buying a very cool Endless Possibilities spoon carving t-shirt designed by myself with the help of Lee John Phillips through the link in my bio and a link in the show notes. Thanks very much and happy carving.